An American Christmas Carol. How America's been Scrooged. So we're going to look at that and begin to see what God would have us to know and say in this particular area. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and run down Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be speaking this morning and starting in Isaiah chapter 9 here in just a moment. And as you're finding Isaiah chapter 9, I just want to share with you that every Christmas that comes along, and it seemed to be so for this one in particular, as a pastor, I just feel the need to talk about Christmas themes. It doesn't seem quite right when all the department stores are pulling out their Christmas displays, you know, in mid-October, that somehow when we get down to the four Advent weeks of Christmas, that somehow we ought not be talking about it in Christmas, seeing how everyone else is trying to do their best to market it to us so we get our buying impulses going as quickly as possible. And so I've just always felt that way through the years, that these weeks that precede the actual celebration of Christmas... Uh, church just is a place where we ought to be talking about Christmas themes. Um, I also realized that during the Christmas season that it seems like, and I don't believe I've spoke those things that be not as though they were, but it's just, a, it's just an observation. You know, we get distracted during Christmas. I noticed that in congregations. I've been doing this now for 27 years. I was a pastor when I was 24 years old. So I've been preaching a lot of Christmases. And I've just noticed that whenever we get to the Christmas season, it's not that you're not being spiritual or you don't recognize that Jesus is involved in the Christmas season. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just simply saying that it seems like we get distracted as believers. And I think it's because there are holiday issues and the gift buying and the decorating and the purchasing and the parties and all the things that take place, it just absolutely wears us out and is a distraction. And so I've, I've seen that through the years, and I've reached a place where I've almost said that, that any spiritual forward movement almost has to be put on hold until we get to the new year. And then once we get to the first Sunday of the new year, it's like I can feel it again. There's like this corporate sigh, and everybody's ready to go forward. But they've just got... We're, we're doing so many spiritual things, we can't be spiritual. You know, that's <laughs> what it seems like. And so it just becomes a real challenge to begin to sow into people's lives. And so I thought I'm going to do a, a teaching series and do some illustrated things along the way. And uh, I want it to be something uh, insightful and refreshing. So this year I decided I'm going to introduce to you one of my favorite characters, Ebenezer Scrooge. I've done The Grinch. I've done some other things at Christmas, but this Christmas... I want to do Scrooge. And the character Scrooge comes from the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. And so I want to properly introduce him to you. Gentlemen, if you're ready, watch the screen overhead. Merry Christmas, Bob Cutting. And the same to you, Mr. Dredd. Merry Christmas, Uncle. I said, Merry Christmas, Uncle. <laughs> humbug. Christmas or humbug, Uncle? Surely you don't mean that. I do. What's Christmas? But a time for buying things for which you have no need, no money. Time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. <laughs> 
If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding <laughs> and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. <laughs> Come now, Neville. You keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you. Much good it has done you. There are a great many things from which I might have derived good, from which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I've always thought of Christmas time when it comes round as a good time, a kindly, forgiving, charitable time. A time when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely to their fellow creatures. And so Uncle Bert has never put a strap of gold or silver into my pocket. I do believe that it has done me good. And I say, God bless it. Not a sound from you. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Please don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us, Dora. Dying? <laughs> I'd see myself in hell for it. It would be a great joy to me. And to my wife. Yes, your wife. I'm told she brought very little to the marriage. A poor girl, I understand. I love her. And she loves me. Now, good afternoon, nephew. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? You are wasting my time. I'm sorry to find you so resonant. You've never had a quarrel so far as I know. And so I shall keep my good humor. And wish you a Merry Christmas. Goodbye. And a Happy New Year. How's that fine family of yours, Lord Crusher? Well, sir, all very well. Good. You'll give them my best wishes. Yes, sir, I shall. Thank you for remembering them. Goodbye, Crash. Goodbye, sir. And a Merry Christmas. Idiot. And she's made me late to be sure. I'm off to the exchange. Don't lock up a moment, That's... Want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. If I were to hold back half a crown from your pay for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. But you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. Christmas comes but once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. I suppose you must have it. Be here all the earlier the next morning, Cratchit. Yes, sir, I shall. I certainly shall. Make sure. Yes, sir. And a Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Scrooge. Come back. Well, that's... If you've not met Ebenezer Scrooge, you've now met our character that I'm going to be working with these next couple of weeks. And uh, my message in this new series, A Christmas, an American Christmas Carol, I've entitled today... Scrooge needs an awakening. Scrooge needs 
and awakening. I want to read some scripture to you this morning. If you have your Bibles in Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read just one verse here, and then we're going to leap over to John's gospel here in just a moment, the first chapter. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 is all we're going to read. It says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then over to John's gospel quickly, chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning and read through verse 5. It says this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many of you know John's talking about who? Jesus, obviously. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Scrooge needs an awakening. Now, we probably have all met someone at some time that has reminded us of Ebenezer Scrooge. In fact, his name has become an adjective for those who are tight or greedy or perhaps have little mercy or compassion. We just simply call them Scrooge, don't we? Come on, how many of you have met someone that might resemble Scrooge in your life? Sometime, somewhere. There are a lot of hands that go up. But to understand what I want to talk about these next several weeks, I think you need to understand a little bit about Charles Dickens, who is the author of this famous book. And you need to understand just a little bit about what was going on in London during the early 1800s. People in that time and at that place were economically at one of two places. We know historically that they were either comfortably rich we find out that there in London, 25% of the population was probably what we would call comfortably rich, or they were incredibly poor, which we're told approximately 75% of the population at that time would fit in that category. There was no middle class. And Dickens at that particular time was considered to be a sort of a social commentary person. And so he wrote books concerning the social upheaval of those early 1800s. And another book some of you may be familiar with is his book, A Tale of Two Cities. The book, A Tale of Two Cities, literally emphasizes those two facts that I just gave you. There was one city of the comfortably, even incredibly rich, and there was another city of the abject poor. And it was in that book that the famous line comes forth where he said it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Just kind of depends on which spectrum of the economic scale you were living on. And as you'll begin to hear even more in our story, the government attempted to step in and do several things to stop the poverty and the injustice. But Just as it doesn't seem to work today, it didn't work in 1843 either. So Dickens begins to write. He writes all of these things as the social commentary in order to awaken the conscience of the nation. And and I just began to think about it, and I have thought how history sometimes is cyclical. And I thought to myself how even in our times, there are so many things that can be said that's parallel. 
I mean, I don't care what your political philosophy is, but truth of the matter is, is that slowly and surely we're finding ourselves at different ends of the spectrum. In fact, I just read several weeks ago that those who have money and are comfortably rich have gone through the recession and they've made more and more money. While many people have gone through the recession and they found themselves losing more and more of their jobs. And whenever you find these two polar opposites taking place in a culture, you're going to begin to find social upheaval. Now, this character, Ebenezer Scrooge, is the embodiment of all that's wrong in London and in England at Christmas time in 1843. Ebenezer is consumed with material things. He's consumed with wealth and the accruing of wealth. He has little concern about his spiritual state. He has little concern about spiritual things. He has little concern about the state of his fellow man. And Scrooge, so to speak, is having his own personal war on Christmas. And so, just to illustrate that, guys, if you're ready, watch what I mean by this conversation that you'll see overhead. Hi, Ebenezer. We were afraid you weren't coming. It's almost closing, sir. I'm here, aren't I? I said you'd be here. Didn't I say Ebenezer Scrooge would be here? I knew you'd change your mind. Right, I have changed my mind. Oh, good, then you'll take our bit. The price has gone up. Gone up? But that's not possible. You want my corn, gentlemen. You must meet my quote. To plus 5% for the delay. It's outrageous, Scrooge. You'll be left with a warehouse stuffed with corn. Well, that's my affair, isn't it? But if we pay your price, our bread will be dearer. The poor will suffer. Buy the corn someplace else. Good day, sir. Scrooge, a moment. We'll take your corn. But the price you quoted yesterday. Too late. If you wait until tomorrow, it'll cost you another 5%. Damn it, Scrooge, it's not fair. No, but it's business. I'll give you a moment to make up your mind. All right, Scrooge. Done and done. Very good, General. Now, make sure that a draft for the entire amount of this transaction is deposited with my clerk. I don't ship until I have the cash in hand. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, I presume. Indeed you do, sir. You don't know us. Nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass. Uh, let me explain, sir. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. Provision? Are you seeking money from me then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, they're still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you asked me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. Well, if they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so. 
and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. Well, that's a pretty good uh, conversation to sum up Mr. Scrooge. In fact, his name, interestingly enough, is a paradox. Do you know Ebenezer actually comes from the Bible? In fact, Ebenezer means stone of help. Stone of help. In fact, Ebenezer was found when God helped Israel defeat the Philistines. So his name means that he was to be a help to people. But this Ebenezer was of no help to anyone. And so Dickens used the term Ebenezer Scrooge in order to illustrate the paradox that he had the capacity to help, but chose not to help. In fact, I believe Dickens probably was trying to underscore that his destiny, his destiny in God was probably to be a conduit through which God could use him to help other people and even help what it is that God had purposed in the earth. And this whole point that I'm making is, I think, in many ways, what epitomizes America today. You see, I believe America has a great call from God. I believe America has divine purposes upon it. I believe America is to be used and was always destined to be used by God as an example of what a nation should be and could be on many different fronts. But America is not great just because she is rich or she is business smart. She is exceptional only when she honors the Lord. I'll say that again. I believe America is exceptional, but she is only exceptional when she honors the Lord. And I am a patriot. I consider myself a, a red-blooded, flag-waving, communist-hating American. I didn't even participate in the Marines and I say simplify. You know, it's just, I, I'm an American. And I believe America has greatness in its veins. I believe America has a call from God. I don't believe America just cropped up one day. I believe America was hidden until God's purposes unfolded. And through this nation, I believe greatness is to take place. But having said that, and even though I revere our nation, America needs revival. Just like Scrooge, America needs an awakening. We hear much being said about the economy and the markets, and we hear much about the creation of jobs, and we hear all of these things. And I'm not saying if you're out of a job or you can't pay your bills, and all of these sorts of things aren't incredibly relevant to you. I, I know they are. Everybody wants to be able to pay their light bills and, and, and pay their rent or their house payment. Nobody wants to go through bankruptcies and foreclosures, and, and we all understand recession, some of us in a deep and personal way. But I'm going to share this with you. No government can get us out of this. Only God can get us out of this. And until we acknowledge this in America, we can have the smartest minds from Harvard and Yale and whatever Ivy League school we may choose, and it will never get any better. We need God's light to penetrate our darkness. We need the light of Jesus to break into our own spiritual darkness. 
If your first consuming thought is somehow or another, you know, I've, I've got to accrue, I've got to accrue, you're missing the point. You've got to get in touch with the blesser. When we sing, God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the what? From where? I won't go into singing. I sang last Wednesday night and I had so many affirmations that I just don't want to overwhelm you with my singing voice this morning. So I'll just let you reminisce Kate Smith's version of America the Beautiful. But the point being is even the old writer knew that there had to be a light that penetrated the darkness. And for some of us, it needs to penetrate our own personal darkness. Now, Dickens was uh, not a theologian, nor did he claim to be. And in 1843, there was not a theological precision in his writings concerning death and ghosts and demons, as you all have been so fortunate to learn being here at Legacy. How many of you know, we, we, we do our best to be precise in all of these things. Well, if you know anything about Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, you know that Scrooge will eventually get a visitation. He'll be visited by what at the time were called ghosts. Some versions will call them spirits. Others will call them apparitions. And uh, I understand that theologically, uh, we have a difficult time with that. And so as we go through this series, I'm going to show you some film clips and, and, and some of them are going to have these apparitions on them. And I just want you to give me a little dramatic license, all right? Usually pastors, very precise, but I get the difference between a demon and an angel. We used to do a, a Christmas Scrooge at the church we were a part of in Spartanburg years ago. It was called the Gospel According to Scrooge. And uh, we had to tweak it a little bit instead of him being visited by these spirits that weren't really defined or, or ghosts, as some might call them. We, we just turned them into angels. And so that made everybody feel better, I guess. Uh, but uh, here on the film clips, I, I can't change that. But there are some important points that need to be made. And, and can I just say this? Because this is a good jumping off point for me to say this. If you try to use Charles Dickens' classic A Christmas Carol in order to somehow relate that to Harry Potter, can I just say it is apples and oranges? Now, I'm going to tell you why it's apples and oranges. It's because Dickens brings redemption and conversion into the life of Scrooge. I don't know that there's redemption and conversion. Maybe there is, and, and I don't see it, but, I, but it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not apples and apples here, folks. All right, this is... This is this is metaphor and simile being used in order to communicate some important things to us. And I also figured that if Jensen, I saw a couple of years ago, Jensen used Michael Jackson's Thriller video one time at church. So I figure if Michael Jackson and all those people popping out of graves, walking around doing their... Well, I could use a classic Christmas tale, couldn't I? I'm going to go a step further because I know some of you are going to be ready to write me an email. Do you know when Saul went to the witch of Endor and the witch of Endor conjured up Samuel out of the fire? To this day, people argue, pastors and preachers and theologians argue as to, did God do that? Did the enemy do that? Who did that? And we don't know who exactly did that. You read the scripture and we aren't sure. Most of the time I, I ascribe ghosts. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what is a ghost? 
What do you think a ghost is? I think most of the time, a ghost is a familiar spirit. You say, well, what's a familiar spirit? It's a demon. It's a demon that takes on a picture of somebody, but uh, it's a familiar spirit. Now, could that have been a familiar spirit? And that was uh, Samuel who came up as a familiar spirit. It could have been. uh, It could have been that God just sovereignly jumped into that scene because whatever came out of Samuel's mouth as an apparition with the witch of Endor, it was truth. And that Saul's days were numbered. And that he was going to die. Now, again, I'm not making a case for going to see your local witch. Amen. Don't use it any more than you could use the verse that Judas went out and hung himself to make a case for suicide. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's some things that can be communicated. And I want you to hear uh, in this some things that God wants to communicate to us through this Christmas season that ought to touch the heart. Because Scrooge needed an awakening and it, and it took something to rock him to his core in order to come to that moment of awakening. And I believe America needs some things at its very core to awaken it to its need for God, for the light of Jesus to come into its life. So as we're going through this, think Chronicles of Narnia, okay? I mean, come on now. I mean, everybody everybody tells me it's no big deal when they go watch their Twilight and their Harry Potter. Give me a little license here for just a moment as I communicate with you. So as we go through this, how is America like Scrooge? Let me go through this, just a couple things here. Number one, Scrooge liked the darkness. Scrooge liked the darkness. There's a great line in the book, if you read the book, when Scrooge comes home and his house is totally in darkness, there's just one candle in his room way upstairs that's lit. And uh, Dickens writes these words, darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it. Darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it. Isn't that true? Darkness is cheap. Darkness is cheap to manufacture. It costs us nothing. There's no energy that needs to be exerted to function in darkness. If you just let yourself go and you go with the flow, you'll always flow towards darkness. It takes energy. It it, it takes power. It takes something in order to produce light. In fact, darkness does its best, according to John in his gospel, darkness does its best to keep us from facing what is light or truth. In in fact, if I could just use the metaphors here, darkness equals sin and selfishness. Where it says that there was a great darkness, or that gross darkness covered the earth. That's what it means. Darkness in the scripture means sin and selfishness. If you want to know what the irreducible residue of sin is, it basically is selfishness or self-centeredness. Like what Luther said, he just used the Latin. He, he called it the incurvitum and say, man turned into himself. That's what sin ultimately is. You know, sin isn't so easily defined as just you do bad things that the Bible says not to do. You understand that if I went down the list of lying, cheating, stealing, drunkenness, fornication, perversions, if I go down the list, idol creation, if I go down the list of all of these manifestations of sin, you ultimately understand that the whole core of it is we're turned into ourselves. I want what I want. And so I steal it. I want what I want, so I lie about it. I want what I want, so I sleep with it. I want what I want, so I convolute it and I twist it. I want what I want. That's the essence of darkness. 
You're walking in darkness when, when self-consumption and selfishness is exhibited in your life. Now, what does light mean? Light means that there's truth and spiritual awareness. It's all of a sudden, when, when light comes into the situation, you're no longer consumed about yourself, but suddenly you're turned from yourself and you're turned outwardly. That's why Jesus said these words. He said, all the laws rest on these two things, that you were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. You understand you're not looking at yourself and you're loving yourself, but you're what? You're, you're, you're out towards him. And then he said, number two, he said that you'd love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says all the law can be summed up on those two things. Now, the law certainly elaborates on how that looks in all of our lives. But he said, this is what it means. And so darkness, darkness, darkness is selfishness. Light is truth and spiritual awareness. And my greatest concern is how our nation appears to be liking the darkness. We like the darkness. We're trying to figure out how to be more European so, so we can have more naked women walking down streets and, and we, can, we can creep up on the family hour on TV and put disgusting, immoral things on our television. So we like it. We like it. They told me the other day that, that, that hotels, when they used to years ago, hold Promise Keepers events and all the men would come. They'd be going to a Promise Keepers event and yet it'd be one of the best weekends in the hotel for the pay-per-view channels. So they could get adult programming in there. We like the darkness. We like it so much that we don't want Jesus in the public arena anymore. We don't want nativity scenes on their public parks or in our public monuments. We take down the nativity scenes, the Ten Commandments. We don't want Merry Christmas signs up anymore. We're to the place, even, even in our marketplace, in our stores, where we're, where we're just, just twisted about, do we say Happy Holiday? Do we say Merry Christmas? We don't want to offend this group or that group or this group. And the whole thing is twisted because we like the darkness. And we wonder where the Christmas spirit has gone to in America. It's because we've drifted into darkness. Christmas isn't about Jesus. It's about getting you to the stores at 2 a.m. on a Friday morning. That's what it's all about. I'm noticing that there are stores now opening Thanksgiving evening because they, they don't give a tinker's rip about family anymore. And I thought about this. I thought that the reason they don't care is because our families are disintegrating. So there's no family gathering because for a lot of us, and again, there's no condemnation. Jesus forgives. We pick up the pieces. But God knows. God knows we've got to go visit four, five, ten different locations because our family's fractured every which way. The cheapening of our culture, it has turned Darker and darker and darker, and we allow things to exist today that 30 years ago would have been scandalous. The Scripture states even that Israel, when Jesus shows up, which is the whole point of the Christmas season, Israel was in that same condition. The same perversions, the same challenges, the same the same marketing issues, the same fracturing of families, the, the same everything. And Jesus, the Messiah, arrived on the scene in the midst of this gross darkness. 
People and nations go through these times. But the key is we need to recognize it. And folks, one of the things that God has called me to do and you to do as a believer, and hopefully together as a church we do this, and we remind each other as well as be a voice to the culture that, that the darkness may, may be trying to encroach in our society, but we ought not like the darkness. We ought not like it at all. But Scrooge liked the darkness. He liked the things that went on in the dark. You ever notice how everything happens at night? I always thought that was interesting. That, that very few people, I'm not saying that people won't, but have you ever thought about how when most egregious sin takes place, it's always at night? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's physically dark out. I mean, when people party, they usually don't party, you know, Saturday morning at 10 a.m. They usually don't do that. It's usually Saturday night. Darkness. It's because we like the darkness. There's something about the darkness that we're attracted to, and there's something about the light that can bring awareness. Scrooge liked it. America, I fear, is beginning to like its darkness. Number two, Scrooge wore chains he would not see. You know, out of the darkness of the film, the ghost of Scrooge's former partner shows up. His name, how many of you know what his name of the former partner of Scrooge was? Joseph Marley. That's right, Joseph Marley. You're remembering And Marley shows up. In fact, here in just a moment or two, we're going to see a picture of this rendition of what Marley looked like. He shows up with chains. People don't understand it. They don't understand all the metaphors and the the dramatic effects. He shows up with chains. And on the end of the chains, you'll see these boxes. In, In 1843, those were called cash boxes. There's kind of an interesting connection there. You wanted you wanted your cash boxes so bad. Your cash boxes were so important to you. Some of us are going to be hooked, I fear, all through eternity to ATM machines. Yeah. So I had a professor, I've told this years ago, we were discussing about hell and what all hell meant and what it was and what it wasn't and what was, what was just metaphor and examples and illustrations and what was reality. And we were having this big discussion in a seminary class one time about all of that. And he looked at us and he said, gentlemen, we may have different opinions as to what is reality and and what may be imagery, but this much I know. Hell will be God saying to us that you wanted it your way, your life, and that's how you wanted it. Everything surrounded you. I'm going to let you have you all by yourself in utter darkness for all eternity. Just you. That will be the outcome of selfishness. You being all by yourself, all alone. That's what you looked at life like. You were, you were just wanting it your way. And so God just says here, you just enjoy you. For all of eternity. Now that would be hell, wouldn't it? But the imagery we'll see are these cast boxes and these, these links and these chains. And, and, and Marley says these words. He says, I wear the chains I forged in life. I made it link by link, yard by yard. And he tells Scrooge that his chains are even longer. But Scrooge does not see it. He actually looks and he says, where are they? It's because he's blind. He's blind to his own condition. And I simply use that as an analogy that America, if it does not get an awakening, is bound to its chains. We're bound to our pocketbooks. We're bound to our perversions. We're bound to our own press. We don't see the babies being aborted. We don't see the devastations of divorce and fractured families. 
We desire and put on on ballots the desire to legalize drugs. That's sorcery, folks. We're trying to figure out how to legalize drugs and prostitution. Why? Why do we want to legalize these things? Well, we'll just regulate it and tax it and we'll get some money for it. Have we have we just absolutely gone nuts? We're blind to the chains we wear. We save eagles' eggs and we abort babies. We hug trees, but we can't hug our own families. I mean, we, we just we cannot see that we are bound, just like Scrooge. He couldn't see him. That's where America is as well. Number three, Scrooge thought business was his business. He thought business was his business. Another great line in the book is when Scrooge says to Marley, he says, well, Marley, you always were a good, good man of business. And Marley screams out, he said, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The mere dealings of trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to the poor abode? Were there no, no poor homes in England to which the light would have conducted me? It's interesting that, that if you have a problem over the apparitions that appear, it's amazing how the apparitions can preach the gospel. Our business is God's business. We are not our own. I've listened to this for years about, and again, I know I'm riding this horse about uh, the abortion issue and, 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 a, and a woman has control over her own body. But can I just share this with you? Whether it's a man or a woman, the scripture says our bodies are not our own. We are God's. We are bought with a price. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If I am a Christian, this isn't my body anymore. And what I do to it is a direct reflection towards the owner who created me and gives me breath. And to say one more time, it's mine, so I get to choose is just one more time that we embrace the darkness. God's business is our business. We've been bought with the price and we are His for His business. America needs to learn this. America's purpose in the earth is not to spread democracy. I, you know, I'm all for democracy. I think it's probably the best form of government you and I could probably ever hope for amongst carnal beings. But having said that, America's purpose is not this secularized notion of let's get everybody to be democratic. Because how many of you know you have carnal democratic things or carnal Republican things, it's still a carnal thing. Are we understanding this? America, America's not here to export just westernized ideas. America's not here for these purposes. America's here for the purposes the pilgrims stated when they stepped on this ground that this nation was being founded to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a missionary sending station. We're to be the beacon of hope to a lost and dying world that you can come to a place called America and you can stumble into a church almost on every street corner and hear the good news that it's Jesus who frees you, not America. You have no freedom without Jesus. He is the author of freedom. 
Don't you think somehow the government's going to let you? Maybe. Maybe if we heal, they'll let us. The government doesn't let me do anything. God lets me be redeemed. I was reading in the paper this morning. In the misnamed section, Faith and Values. How misnamed is that section? They had something on atheism in there the other day. I'm going in the Faith and Values section. And there's just this little section right there on the inside page, page two. Because it was talking about a, a new pastor that came to town being in a predominantly black church and talking about how the background of the church was not only to do benevolent things, but it had participated in many civic things, cultural things, probably civil rights issues, which, by the way, I have absolutely no problem with. God bless them, go for it. But the issue right there on that second page was, and it was interesting how the, how the guy wrote it. Someday I want to meet him. Because I've, I've written letters to the editor about things he's written before. I never, I never have gotten anything back. But he just said these words, what, what will the government let the church do? Just that phrase, just oh, put something in me. It's funny how it's separation of church and state when you want to put your nativity scene up in a public park, but they've got no problem sticking their nose in what the church ought to be doing. It, it, the whole church and state issue is a canard anyway. But, but the point being is this. The government doesn't let us do anything. We are obedient to God. And we're obedient to the government in as much as the government is obedient to God. Say, well, I can't believe you would say that. I'm saying it. The minute, the minute we are told that we can't, and God's word says we can, then Acts 5.29 says, I must obey God rather than man. Amen. Come on, we've got to begin to get this in our system. If it doesn't come from our pulpits, folks, if we don't begin hearing this preached and we're exhorted and you understand you've got a giant support group in here this morning that's looking at you saying the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. We were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, most of which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not the guarantee, but we can pursue it. But I'm just telling you, when, when I mean, how, ma how many rights does an unborn baby have? It certainly doesn't have life. And if you don't have life, you can't have liberty. And if you don't have life, you can't have liberty. And you certainly can't pursue happiness. My view is there is a gigantic constitutional crisis that's going on in Planned Parenthoods all over this nation. It is my body. No, it's not. Your body's not your own. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that, ladies, that you're the one that's saddled with knucklehead guys' poor decisions. I'm sorry. If it were my choice, I'd drag the guy, slap him with a 50-pound boulder on his tummy and let him walk with you. If it were up to me. It's not up to me. I think the guy's as culpable as the woman. Don't misunderstand. I understand. I understand that guys get away with things because their sins aren't as easily seen as some of the ladies' sins. I get that. And I'm sorry for it. I wish it were different. Like I said, I'd change it if I could, but that's just biology 101. We got enough people trying to change biology these days. 
that I'm just going to stay out of that realm. Our business is God's business. Uh, you may have a great job. I'm looking at people. I can, I, could, I can name out your careers and your jobs right now. And I'm glad that it provides for you a living and it provides for you resource. And that out of that resource, some of it comes into God's house. And I'm grateful for all of those things. But I'm just looking, like, I'm looking at Jason. He's a great cook. He's a chef. And, and, and I'm glad that he's he got a great job. But his job is not just a job. It is God's business. Got Michael over here, and he does he does carpet uh, cleaning and restoration and, and and damage control things, and 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 I'm glad that it's a it's a living for him, and 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 it can provide for him and his household. But it's not just his business; it's God's business. Got people that work at WalMarts and Targets, and they cut hair, and they they they, they you know they they're lawyers and. You know, all sorts of things that are going on out there. And I'm telling you, I'm grateful for all your job provides, but it's not just that business. It's God's business. If God gives you great wealth to whom much is given, much is required. And I honestly believe that if God has given you the ability to create finance, then part of your responsibility is to allow it to be used through you to do God's business. And if he hasn't touched you in that regard, then there's still something you're to do that's God's business. But Scrooge thought business was his business. I thought it was just the way it worked. No, it's not. And America, unfortunately, is beginning to stumble into that mentality. Then lastly, number four, Scrooge had no perception of the eternal. He had no perception of the eternal. Scrooge had no concept that there was a day of reckoning. He had no concept that there was a day of judgment. A day when the choices that you make here would forever affect what happens there in eternity. Now, when Dickens wrote this story, he was writing from the perspective of simply social conscience. He was writing from the perspective of that there, there is something that should take place in the hearts of all men that should reach out in some mercy and some compassion and in some benevolence. He wasn't making a case, you know, for, for enabling all of society or affirming people who refused to have a work ethic or who refused to do what they should be doing. He wasn't doing that, but he was saying that there was something in the nature and heart of man that needed to be converted, that needed to be changed in order that they would become far more sensitive to what it was they were doing and how it was they were living. And while he never quite gets down to it, I'll share this with you, that the only time that can happen in a person's life is when the great benevolent one comes to live inside of you. It's when you give your life over to Jesus, who is the one who can multiply the bread and the fishes. He is the one that reached out in mercy and compassion. He was the one that demonstrated a long suffering and patience. He was the one, and we can't do it in and of ourselves, but we've got to understand that it's only him inside of us that can enable us to do that. But, but Scrooge had no perception of the eternal. He had no perception that there was coming a day of reckoning. That the way he lived, now listen, the way he lived would begin to be judged and God would deal with the fruits in his life. Folks, we got to understand one more time that America is going to be judged. I wish I could tell you that, that somehow or some way we escape it, but there has not been one nation that has ever escaped God's hand of judgment. I believe that America has done a lot of great and wonderful things. 
I believe that we have at one time in our history been a great gospel uh, 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 witnessing, testifying culture. I believe that historically I could easily prove to you how this nation was built on the backs of the spiritual Christians who created a system that was to work as Christians were involved in it and began to exercise righteous rule in it. But they did that because they understood. Do you understand? Our founders understood that even kings were going to be accountable one day to God Almighty. They understood that. And they understood that as they began to set up a new system and other people would come into power, we might not call them kings. We may call them presidents or congressmen or senators. We may call them by different names. But the issue is, is that everybody one day, like it or not, is going to be accountable to God. And when you understand the eternal, it's amazing how it changes the temporal. I mean, I understand there's an old phrase that used to go, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. You've heard that? Well, you know, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, our problem nowadays is we're not even heavenly minded and we're still no earthly good. And there's a truth to that. There's a truth that some people are just so ethereal and, and spiritual that they never can get real practical. That's true. But here's the part of it that we need to make sure we get into our system. And that is, there is a day that all of us will give account. Politicians will give an account to how they voted. You say, well, I'm just representing my district. Well, you know what? I understand representative government, but there's going to come a day if your district is in rebellion to God, then you better honor God and not man. There are certain things that are right, and they're right no matter who says they're wrong. And there are certain things that are wrong and they'll always be wrong no matter who says the right. And we're all going to stand accountable before God. And we're not going to say, well, they, well, they overturned traditional marriage 54, 46. And I just was, it, it was on the ballot, God. And God's going to look and say, it wasn't on my ballot. But Scrooge had no perception of a judgment day. He had no perception of a day of accountability. He had no perception that the, the words he said and the deeds he did were going to be held to account. And the whole issue in a Christmas carol was that he got a glimpse into what would happen if something did not change in his life. And folks, America is going to face some, uh, some difficult days and unfortunately a rude awakening. If we do not begin to understand that we will be held to account. Do, do we really think as a nation, I understand, I'm preaching to the choir here, I, I get it. But if I could just holler out to America, do you really think that this moment on this earth is all there really is? See, the answer is, America needs an awakening. Now, I'm going to show you how his awakening starts. Could be a little scary, so hug your neighbor, okay? Watch the screen overhead. Chain. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is it pattern strange to you? 
How would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago you have labored on it since it is a ponderous chain. Has she no chain? Mine were invisible until the day of my death, as yours shall be. Tell me more. Speak. Comfort to me. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that. You always were a good man of business. Business! Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for you, Dick. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mention? It is. Well, in that case, I, I think I'd rather not. Expect the first tonight when the bell tolls one. Couldn't they all come at the same time, Jacob, and have it over? Expect the second on the stroke of two. The third, more mercurial, shall appear in his own good time. Look to me no more. Look that you may remember what has passed between us. That was the beginning of Scrooge's awakening. And just like Scrooge, I think America needs its chains pulled. As I watched this clip, I thought of the rich man in Lazarus who wanted someone to go back and tell his family the truth. But Abraham, looking across the great gulf that was affixed between Lazarus and this rich man, said to him, you have Moses and the prophets. That's all they need. What do you suppose he might say now? I think if he could speak, he'd say, you have the message and the sacrifice of God's only son. And that's all you're ever going to need. Whether America ever wakes up as a nation is ultimately up to God and I guess our corporate responsiveness. But the good news is that you can wake up. You can wake up today if you've been asleep. Today's the day. Now's the time. You can have Jesus break the chains 
that you may not have ever seen before. He can break the chains and you can start all over again. But in these next weeks, we're going to be seeing what it took for Scrooge to come to that conclusion. What will it take for you? Let's stand, shall we?